Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. This will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about friendship. You think much about friendship? Have you ever wondered? And I wish there could be more friends in this world. Why can't more people be friends? Why aren't more people friends with one another? I'd like to offer something practical, something down-to-earth as a way of understanding how to make friends, how to find a friend, how to have friends. And as far as I can see, there are four basic principles that you need to make a friend, to have a friend. To really have a deep friendship. And a lot has been said over the years about friendship. There is a history to the philosophy. Or friendship as a philosophy. And I thought I'd perhaps share my impression of A.C. Grayling. And what he has to say about Friendship, in his book, in fact, he's got a book on friendship. And what can I say? What should I say? I think the philosopher has a way of seeing things as more complex than they really are. Making a tangle, well, not necessarily a tangle, but making a making a something out of something that isn't really related to what it was originally intended to in relation to. It's almost like, in some people's minds, friendship is an esoteric, metaphysical, phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness. Which it could be. I can actually see how that is the case, as a matter of fact. But really, friendship is more on the side of simplicity. You're friends with people simply just because. There's not really technical speaking. There's not really a technical theory or a technical aspect or explanation to why you are friends with people. You don't walk around saying, I have an esoteric, metaphysical, phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness guiding my friendships. Or at least I highly doubt you do. And if we sit back and we ponder things, and we wonder about things, and we create stories of things, we create theories and concepts and discussions, then it's okay, I think, to get technical. It's okay to recognize that there are quite elaborate things to be said about the things in the world, including friendship. And if that's what you're doing, then it might be, well, very much within the realms of what's appropriate to say that friendship is an esoteric, metaphysical, phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness. But really, friendship is simply about being open to someone. It's about sharing feelings. 
It's about being bold. And of course there is a psychological theory of friendship which talks about projection and imaginary boundaries. Because you project out how you think about things onto others. You project out onto the world what is within you. And what you see in others and who you're drawn to is very much a reflection of what's in you. It's very much a reflection of what's happening inside your mind. And you're drawn to people who talk the same way that you do. You're drawn to people that do the similar sorts of things that you do. And you say certain things to them and you want them to be reflected back to you. You want what's said by you to be reflected back to you. You want it to be confirmed in a sort of way. And of course there are complexities to this which can put it the other way, which is that you can want people to disagree with you. You can be composed psychologically in such a way that you want people to get annoyed with you. And that's actually your way of relating to people, your way of projecting out. You can actually think of yourself as incorrect or a rebel or a disobedient person. And you can go around finding the people that will confirm that for you. You're a bad kid. You're a disobedient kid. You're always getting into trouble, they'll say to you. And deep in your subconscious mind, deep in the back of your psychology, you'll be saying, yes, that is exactly right. That is what I am. And that's a kind of positive confirming of what you are. That's a positive reinforcement deeply when on the surface it sounds like a negative. And there's a lot of dynamics to projection. There are a lot of different ins and outs. There's also emotional projection. We make friends with the people that we share our emotions with. And at this stage of the conversation, I'm not meaning sharing as in you both talk about them. I mean sharing as in you both have them at different times. And if you can sense someone's feelings, you can sense someone's emotions consciously, well then that's how you start to relate to someone very much differently. That's how your friendships actually start to change. But normally we have a certain collection of emotions and we relate to the people who have a similar sort of collection of emotions. And whenever we find someone who is very much further outside the realm of our emotional profile, we tend to stay away from that person. We tend to say, oh, I, I, just, I just don't relate to that person. Might be that, oh, that person really is gloomy all the time. Oh, that person's always so depressed. Oh, that person really is just overly cheerful. That person is always so happy. Well, that person is so excited. Well, that person is so energetic, or whatever it is. There's a whole spectrum of emotions there. And if it's too far out the realm of what you're used to, what you're comfortable with, well, chances are you won't be friends with that person. And there's a lot of dynamics within emotional profiling and relationships and projection. It's really a whole branch of psychology. 
And there are also imaginary boundaries that you have. And I call them imaginary because you set them up for yourself. There are certain things you don't like talking about. There are certain things you don't want people to know about you. There are certain things you don't want to talk about to others. There are certain things you don't want to know about other people. And so on. As to what can be said in front of you and what can't. And these are boundaries. These are boundaries that determine the sorts of people you'll be talking to and relating to. And there are unsaid agreements in friendships. And one of those is that you won't cross my boundaries. And of course it becomes quite awkward when it becomes explicit, when it becomes a said agreement. It's really the breaking of a friendship. When someone says, no, I don't want to talk about this. I feel very uncomfortable talking about this. Now, in the case of trust and being understanding of one another, it's okay to say that. And you might say, well, that's fine. If you don't feel comfortable talking about these things, then we don't have to. But it does put a limit on what we can do with us, what we can do between us. But in the case of meeting someone new, you think, whoa, okay. So there's no established trust, trust and already they're saying... I don't feel comfortable talking about this. You've brought out some explicit agreements already. It feels quite restrictive. It feels like you have to say certain things. There's certain things you can't say or do around that person. And that is a restriction on you. And what you really want in a friend, what really makes a deep friendship, is your ability to just be yourself around them, to relax, to not have those unsaid agreements, to not have those non-explicit understandings encroaching on how you behave and what you say and how you express yourself and how you feel. And the people that are often allowing us to be ourselves around them are the people that are similar to us with the same sort of emotional and psychological profile and really you do just want a deeper freedom and when this goes a long way when this goes a far way and you actually meet someone who does allow you it can go full circle in that Someone can allow you to be free and be so free that you realize, oh, I don't really like what I am. I don't really like how I behave. I'm used to having people give me cues as to how I should behave around them. I'm used to having indications and we sense, we go into the situation sensing. How should I talk around this person? We tiptoe around. How should I act around this person? And we very slowly, carefully in creep our way into a relationship. And when you meet someone who allows a real freedom, this can be quite confusing. This can be quite overwhelming in a sense. And in fact, there is a book about exactly this. A famous book, a famous self-help book, which I'm sure you've heard of. You probably have. And this is the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, by Dale Carnegie. And I do not recommend this book. This book can send you off in completely the wrong direction. Because, basically... What he's saying in this book, Dale Carnegie, is that to make friends with someone, you must appease them. You must 
do what they do, allow them to do what they want. And this is not the same as allowing them to be free. This is not allowing them to be themselves. This is not the same as actually just letting them go in the natural direction that they want to go. I get the sense that the message from that book is much more about being manipulative, being tricky. And actually, there's a deep kind of inauthenticity to that process of appeasing someone to be friends with them. Because a deep friendship, a real deep friendship, actually has the trust in it that you can oppose someone. And if you're just appeasing people, if you're just trying to always give in to whatever they want to do in a way to sneak around and carefully carefully manipulate them, influence them into something, then there's no real trust. There's no real depth to it. So a real friend, someone who really you can trust, someone that can say tough things to you, someone that can say difficult things to you, someone that can allow you to say difficult things. A real friendship recognizes that there are limits within us. There are limits between us. We have these imaginary boundaries. We have these limits of our emotional profiles. And we say, okay, now how do we push up against those? How do we actually stop limiting ourselves? And the true friends are the ones that actually venture into those territories. And it's hard. It's difficult. It takes guts. It takes a kind of awareness. And yet when you do, you open limits. You open boundaries. You find those things that you're laboring under. And you break through them. You break open to them. And sharing that with someone is a wonderful thing. Sharing that with someone is a way of actually having a deep shared experience. And that's how you can be grateful to someone. That's how you can be thankful for being friends with someone. And that's very different to letting someone just continue in their way. Letting someone just be their old self. Yes, I'd rather, much rather, that things were opened to me. I'd much rather that things were brought about in a new fashion so that I would be left more free because of a relationship than less. So I don't recommend that book. And of course, it's very famous. I'm sure you've heard about it. And there's probably a lot more that we can say in how that book doesn't really hit the nail on the head with friendship. But I also did mention before that we talk about A.C. Grayling in his book. And this is quite strange, really, that this can happen. It's quite funny that A.C. Grayling has churned out this book and yet been the sort of person that he is. And of course, I only have my tentative impressions of both the book and A.C. Grayling the man, but... I think I know enough to really see quite a stark contrast between two fundamental things, which is A.C. Grayling the man and this, this thing that he's made, this philosophy. And philosophy, as far as I can tell from 
A.C. Grayling's perspective is an esoteric metaphysical phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness. And I think, whoa, that sounds very technical. That sounds very grandiose. And I get that impression because he's written this book in a very technical way. There are footnotes, there are histories, there are quotes, and there are a lot of obscure names. He's talking about all sorts of obscure philosophers. It's much more like a it's much more like a history of the philosophy of friendship rather than friendship. That would have been a much more fitting title. Because friendship itself is something very simple. It's something very warm. It's something playful. It's something fun. Something that makes you happy. Whereas the philosophical, historical, academic history of friendship, well, that's something that is actually a bit of a brain. It's like a what do you call, like a brain workout, a cognitive overloading. And especially in the case of A.C. Grayling and his book. Because it gets so bogged down, it becomes so technical, it becomes so lost. And there are ideas that he talks about, such as the relationship between the student and the master, particularly for young boys and men. And he looks at what it means for a teacher to take a student under their wing and for that to be a kind of friendship. And he also looks at homosexuality and the history there of what it means for teachers to actually have sexual favours from young boys for what they've taught them. And there is a history of that in philosophy. Many of the philosophers have contended with that dynamic between them and their students. And I say contended with because, of course, some of them did have homosexual relationships with young boys, and some of them didn't. And there's a vast history there. There's a deep history there. And that's quite complex. And in some ways, A.C. Grayling is trying to contend with something that's very complex and yet heading it under a title which is of something that really should be so simple. Friendships should be so simple. And if I didn't know anything about A.C. Grayling and I had just read his book on friendship, I would have wondered now how on earth... Does this man have any friends at all? Who on earth would want to be friends with this man? Having a conversation with him must be such a such a brain workout, such a cognitive overload that I just couldn't keep up with him. And this is the difference between writing in an academic style and, well, just talking, really. I don't know if you're having dinner with A.C. Grayling how many footnotes his speech has, how many quotes he has, how academic his way of speaking is. I don't know. But I have heard him speak. I have heard him speak. And I get the impression that this man has very deep friendships. I get the impression that he is a very kind person. He is very nice to relate to, and he would have many rich friendships. And I got that impression from his persona, from how he spoke, from how he came across. Not from his book. In fact, I got the opposite from his book. And he does know how to put things simply. He does know how to say things very concisely. And he does also know how to put a playful spin on his gargantuan knowledge. Because he would quote obscure philosophers and then say, 
Of course you've heard of that philosopher, haven't you? Because you were reading him while you were in your bath last night. And that's a very funny way of his acknowledging. It's a very funny way for him to acknowledge that, well, he is doing some quite obscure references that not everybody is going to get. And yet we can spin that in a warm way, in a funny way, in a kind way. And probably the most significant thing that A.C. Grayling has ever said was about this deep truth, which is that we must all start relating to one another by being nice to one another. And when he said that, he received an applause. When he said that, actually there was quite a warm response from the crowd. Because it is such a beautiful, concise insight into the nature of friendship and relationships. Be nice to people. How simple it sounds and yet how deep it really runs. So I find it quite strange, I find it quite quirky that a man who is so warm and so insightful and so friendly in so many ways can write such an esoteric book in such an academic and twisted style on friendship. And I don't know how he reconciles the two. I don't know enough about the man to see the bridge between the two. And maybe it is that a man always has some kind of work which is separate to his relationships. Maybe it is that a man always has something that he can go on and on about, which he doesn't go on and on about when he's really just trying to have a talk with someone, trying to relate to someone. I don't know. I don't know. But I found it very interesting to have both of those things in the character, in the person of A.C. Grayling. And there's no doubt about it that his academic writing is very advanced, very technical. But it does make you question, it does make you wonder, like, is, is, I mean, is friendship an esoteric, metaphysical, phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness? Is it really... Do we have to quote Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, and all the rest of them in order to understand what it means to relate to someone? And now I'd like to offer some thoughts of my own. I'd like to offer... What I can see, and these are surmised from really what we've talked about so far. This really comes from everything that we are talking and discussing about in relation to friendship. And if you've been able to follow along, you'll see quite clearly how I've come up with these. And I hope it's simple. I hope it's practical. I don't think there is any need to quote higher philosophy in order to really have friendship as something that is deep and meaningful in your life. So take these four principles, take these four things, take this as a how-to, and see how you see how you go with it. This is my take on friendship. This is my take on what it means to Really deepen the friendships that you've got. So how to be friends with someone or how to have deep friendships. Number one, be friendly. And this means being cheerful. And of course, that's oversimplifying things already. That's already 
asking too much, in a sense, in how simple it is. But there is so much in that you can just be friendly to people. You can just talk to them. And I find that the biggest barrier, the biggest thing that stops people from doing that, is their disbelief that they can be friendly to someone. It's actually their fear that they're actually going to hurt someone. They're going to upset someone. They're going to annoy them or they're going to make them feel uncomfortable. And this is a kind of breaking the ice. This is a kind of establishing what's okay. And in so many ways, we have boundaries in relationships because if we don't have anything else, there wouldn't be anything else at all. And yet this is so simple to just be friendly, to be cheerful. And this can lend itself to, well, boring small talk. It can lend itself to a false extroversion. It can lend itself to a false happiness or a forced happiness. And these are things to avoid. These are things to not make habits out of because they work against authenticity. They work against the real deepening of sharing what you are with the world and allowing what you are to be known by the world. So at least initially, at least first up, be friendly. Be cheerful and keep that as something simple, something easy, but not finite, not something that really rules all of the friendship. You'll need more. You'll need more than just that. Number two, learn scripts and break scripts. And this goes the same with emotional profiling. Learn someone's emotional profile and demonstrate that you can share it and then break it. This is most easily understood by, well, scripts. Everyone has a collection of words. Everyone has a collection of phrases. Everyone has a collection of things that they say in certain situations. Learn what they say. Learn what they would say in each situation. And start saying it themselves. Start saying it yourself. And this is, well, in a sense, the first step that actually Dale Carnegie talked about. Talk the way they talk. But he misses another step. He misses the second part of this, which is the first part is learn the scripts. And the second part is break the scripts. And this is how you keep a friendship fresh. This is how you keep a friendship alive. Is you actually don't say what's expected. You contradict what someone has said. You actually break the boundaries. Because that breaking of the boundary will bring you into new things. It will bring you into new conversations. And that will open up to new freedoms of speech and how you think about things. So learn scripts and break scripts. And number three is related to this. Number three is establish sharing. And this is where you take a real conscious effort and you make it really explicit what it is you're doing. This is where you actually have to sit down and explain to your friend, well, there are certain things that I want to know about you. And there are so many ways you can do this. And of course, when I mean sharing, I mean sharing as in saying how things are for you talking from your own personal experience intimately, talking about your feelings, talking about what you really think about something on all levels, 
Now, in many, in many friendships, we just stay in the level of the mind. We just stay in opinions and ideas and what we think. The mind is the king when it comes to chitter-chatter back and forth. But those deeper friendships, those deeper re- connections, those deeper relationships, you're actually sharing feelings and experiences. You're also sharing perceptions, not just ideas and opinions and thoughts. And there's so many ways you can establish this explicitly. There's so many ways you can actually talk about these things and make it a part of the relationship. And it takes time because, in a sense, it doesn't really always work to say, okay, here's my concept of sharing. Now, let's you and me do it like that. Now, depending on your relationship, that might work. That might actually be something quite good to do. You will be able to do that. And if you can do it that way, go right ahead and say, well, sharing is where you talk about your feelings and you talk about your experiences. And you say what is true to you and I listen. And that's it. There's no response to it. You're sharing it with me. You're not asking for an opinion or advice about it. And then it goes vice versa. Now I share with you. I say what is happening for me and you listen. And you don't need to offer an opinion. You don't need to respond to it. It's not an argument or a discussion or a back and forth or a conversation even. It's sharing. And once that's established, you can say, well, how do you feel? Or how did you feel about that? Or what was your experience about a certain thing? And if you can't establish it between whoever it is you're relating to in that way, then you can just say, look, I want to say some things to you, but you don't have to respond to them. I want to say some things to you, but I'm not looking for advice. And you can do that the other way around. You can say, when they're saying something to you, you can say, do you want me to just listen to you and not give advice? Would you like me to give you advice on this? And so on. There's no end to the ways you can work your way into this. Use these phrases. Use these tricks. Use these turns of conversation to start working your way into something deeper. But you must establish some kind of deeper sharing. You must establish some kind of way of saying, tell me what you are. Tell me who you are. I really want to know who you are. I really want to know you. And of course, there are many things within us that we don't want people to know. There is hurt. There is pain. There is embarrassment. And really, that's where the friendships get deep. When someone knows something about you and they accept you anyway for your flaws, that's when you really have a true friend. And that's how you be a true friend to someone else. Be ready for someone to tell you something. Be grateful for it. When someone shares with you, say, thank you for sharing. It shows that you've trusted me. It's allowed, it's allowed me to actually take on something which is important. So establish sharing. Understand what sharing is. And sharing is a principle that comes from group therapy. And there are many versions of it. There are many dynamics to it, which I've spoken about in previous conversations. So you can always find out more about that. There's really so much more to, sh- to say about that. And the fourth point, the final thing that I'll say about friendship is help one another. And this goes hand in hand with caring for someone. Ask yourself if there's anything you can do to make things better for your friend. And ask them if there's anything that they can have done for them, if there's anything you can do for them to make things better, to help. 
And this, as a matter of fact, is in Dale Carnegie's book. He says, despise the free lunch. Despise someone giving you something. Because then you're indebted to them. So never be in debt to anyone. And this is so backwards. This is so messed up. This is so wrong. This has nothing to do with helping one another. Sure, it does feel a bit strange to pay for someone's lunch. And yet you can acknowledge this. You can say, no, actually, it's my gift to me for me to pay for your lunch because I want to feel good about helping you. And you can make that explicit. You can exactly say that. Say, thank you for letting me pay for lunch. It's my pleasure. It's my privilege. And the ways that we help one another, well, they're legion. If only we knew more of those ways. If If only we knew the way in which we could be helped. And that's quite a profound question. That's quite a quite an inquiring kind of question in the context of a friendship. Now, of course, you see this in customer service. They say, hi, how can I help you? Hi, can I take your order? (laughs) The amount of times I've said that in a customer service job. (laughs) Hi, how can I help you? Oh, God, I'm having flashbacks. (laughs) Let's not bring up some personal... Let's not spoil the conversation with a personal history. (laughs) But really, if you could even know, just knowing how someone can help you, in what ways do you need help? In what ways do you actually want someone to help you? Now, most of the time you say, I I don't need anyone. I don't need help from anyone. You won't help me. I'm a big, strong, independent woman or man or hermaphrodite or transgender or whatever it is that we have these days. I don't need help from anyone. And that is exactly a wall. That is exactly a boundary. That is exactly the thing that's stopping you from having friends, genuine friends, so that you won't allow someone to help you. And it can be practical stuff like, hey, I've got a flat tire, can you just help me out? And be willing to do that. Be willing to drop your daily schedule just to help a friend out. Keep, keep in mind, keep in mind how... Very rarely that happens. How often has that happened? How often has someone called you up and say, Hey, I'm stranded at the station. Can you just come and pick me up? Or I've got a flat tire. Can you call something to fix my tire on my car? How rarely does that happen? And recognize when it does happen as something that's rare and that you should be able to just stop what you're doing. And help out. Because those little things, those little gestures go a long way. And imagine what we could do if we could all just help one another. I know it's a green meme perspective. I know it's a bleeding heart hippie thing to say. I know this is very much the peace of the world kind of place that we find ourselves in this kind of conversation, in this part of the conversation, but it's true, if only we could help one another. And in fact, I think that's in a movie. I think there's a moment in a movie, and it's some some disaster movie, you know, there was this phase there where disaster movies were big, and you know, there'd be this big, you know, there'd be a tidal wave or a giant storm or the end of the world or the sun exploding or whatever it is. There was a whole whole bunch of movies there for a moment that were doing these apocalyptic storms. And in one of them, you know, the the whole country, the whole globe has been decimated by something and everyone's lining up for their their help and 
the lady gets to the line, the end, finally, after hours of waiting in line, and she says, look, I'm just needing some help. Can you just help me with this one thing? And the man says, well, no, I can't help you with this one thing because then the next person will want help with one thing and then the whole world will want help with one thing. And then the lady says, well, then everyone would have help. Everyone in the world would have help if you could just do that. And there's some truth in that. And I mean, we all, maybe we all help in just the ways that we can. Maybe we only help in relation to the amount of awareness that we have. And if we're talking about ethics and morality and how we relate to each other on a global scale, well, that's a deep rabbit hole. There's a lot in that. I can hear, I can hear Peter Singer knocking on my door. <laughs> he wants to come in and join the conversation. Peter Singer? No, no, Peter, Peter, not now. Peter, no, we can't. No, we don't have time for you. We don't have time for that. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm I'm cleaning my I'm cleaning my suit cuz I got water on it. Just let 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 me alone. I'm still waiting for my suit to dry out. <laughs> Maybe that's a conversation for another day. And I have mentioned Peter Singer before. Maybe we'll talk about him again in some time. But those are a few things to say about friendship. Be friendly or be cheerful. Learn scripts and break scripts. Establish sharing. And help one another. And I'd like to thank you for allowing me to say these things here today. I'd like to thank you for actually listening along and trusting that I'm saying these things for my own sense of well-being and for the betterment of those around me. And I hope you can feel my warm-heartedness. I'm feeling quite warm-hearted. Friendship really does require a kind of opening to the heart in a mature sense. And maybe you need to reach a certain age before you start to see these certain things. Maybe there's certain things that you have to live before you open to the heart. And as always, we're caught in this tiny little place with the expanse of infinity flowing out from all directions around us. And I get that. I get that. And I will keep saying that. I will keep pointing that out when I notice it. Because there is more to say about friendship. There's always more to feel. There's always more that can be thought up. But really, it should be something simple. Friendship is not an esoteric, metaphysical, phenomenological concept of existentialism and consciousness. As much as I could and would sometimes very much like to actually explain it as such, So thanks very much once again. Hope you have a beautiful day. Have you done your meditation today? Have you meditated today? I've done mine. I've done I've done 2 hours. Uh let me just check. Yeah, I've done 2 hours so far. I did my morning meditation and I've done my afternoon meditation and where I am now it's actually it's 3 p.m. now. And I'll probably do some more. And that's not to count the meditation that I did before I got out of bed. I usually meditate for about an hour in bed, and then I get up and meditate. So so top that. Beat that if you can. Or if you can't, just, just do 20 minutes. Just do a little bit each day. Just meditate every day. And I'll keep, you, I'll keep reminding you. I mean, if you've listened to this, you've already spent a good portion of time listening to this, so... You must have time, at least for 20 minutes of silence. So thanks very much for tuning in, and that's all I have to say for now.